You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on-demand, WERA.FM. What I want people to be curious about is, what are those things that they might be putting off in terms of how they live their life? Does that have to wait till they hit some kind of financial or age mark? Or is there a way to incorporate those things they think they like about that future that they've invented today? Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Among the many exciting things about doing this show is the wide array of information I come across when I do my research for each episode. You hear just the tip of my research iceberg each week. And this week, my foraging led me to the Chapman University Survey of American Fears. Chapman describes its survey as an in-depth examination into the concerns of average Americans tracking changes and trends over the years. The survey asks about topics ranging from government, health and the environment, disaster preparedness, the paranormal, and personal anxieties. According to the fifth annual survey completed in 2018, the state of the environment for the first time represents fully half of America's top 10 fears. But right there at number four, identified by 57% of respondents, is fear of not having enough money for the future. That's up from number five and 50% the previous year. Now, this is a show all about curiosity, not fear. We do talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. But I got to thinking about the dividends that curiosity plays, which got me thinking about other dividends and financial planning and how curiosity almost certainly plays a critical role in planning well for one's own future. And so I thought I ought to have a conversation about that. I speak from some personal experience here. Five years ago, I walked away from a job and organization I loved to try new things with no clear plan. I'd had a brush with my own mortality and came face to face with the reality that life is short and there are no guarantees. I was doing good and what I thought was important work, but I also knew there was more out there and I wanted to explore. My husband and I had been very diligent about our savings. And so although we hadn't necessarily planned to do it quite as soon as we did, We crunched the numbers one more time and decided we could afford to stop working if that's what we wanted to do. And so we did. Not everyone has that opportunity, I understand, but more might, I believe, with a little more thought and planning. Lucky for me, I happen to know someone in the financial services industry. Rebecca Borton is Associate Client Advisor at Concentric Private Wealth. Concentric provides independent wealth management and financial planning services with a focus on behavioral advice. Rebecca likes to say she coaches clients to lead purposeful financial lives so they can confidently support the people and activities they hold dear. She helps progressive change makers to align their financial behaviors with their values so they can be the change they wish to see in the world. Coming by way of an interest in international aid work, personal finance was an unexpected path for Rebecca, 
but she fell in love with connecting and helping people be more confident in their economic lives. It's a synergy that makes sense for a woman who devotes a good portion of the rest of her waking hours to practicing politics in person. Full disclosure, Rebecca Borton is my niece. In preparing to talk with Rebecca today, I went back to an article written by Francesca Gino, a behavioral scientist and professor of business administration at Harvard Business School. Among many findings and a robust body of research on curiosity, she has two that I think are especially relevant in today's topic. One, when our curiosity is triggered, we're less likely to fall prey to confirmation bias. And two, curiosity leads us to generate alternatives. If we're talking about our futures, whether in financial planning or politics, using curiosity to generate alternatives for ourselves seems like a great place to start a conversation. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. That does sound like a great place to jump in. <laughs> it does. But before we go there, I actually want to take one step back, you know, ask you to give me a one-minute summary of what you actually do in your day job. Because I think people hear wealth management, and they think, oh, I'm not wealthy. That's not for me. So make your case. Definitely. So a phrase that I love is we work with high net worth individuals and the not yet high net worth. And uh, to me, that speaks to the opportunity. Yep. And that's really the most exciting place to be. And I love working with younger families because the earlier we start getting on the right path, the more compounding there is of good things over time. And really what we do is we help people prepare for the unexpected. Mm -hmm. The only thing that is really certain in life is that there's going to be uncertainty. So how do we prepare for the certainty of uncertainty? I think that's <laughs> the key kernel of financial planning as a, um, a profession. And the reality is we don't know when certain things will happen. There are a few things in life that we know will happen. Those are the things people people don't really like talking about and thinking about. <laughs> right. So how do we get people paradox, today to do the things that they need to do so that they'll be in a situation that's better for them later? How do we build empathy for our future selves so that we can act ways now that support our future selves? And so that might sound sort of lofty or really sophisticated, but when you think about it, it's really comes down to supporting saving and investing behavior today mm -hmm. so that when we get that ringing sense that, hmm, maybe it's time for a pivot, we can do that. Mm -hmm. Or maybe just to support ourselves throughout our lives. So we help people look at their life broadly in a number of different ways and say, am I taking care of some of the big risks in my life and doing things to protect my family from some of those big risks. We can't necessarily change if they happen or not, but we mm -hmm. can change what that impact and experience is for our family. Right. So that's pretty fundamental to what we do is, you know, things like insurance planning. It's maybe not sexy, but it's so important. And no one really likes to think about the, those what ifs, but your family is really going to regret that you didn't if it happens. Right. So what is that kind of that list? I mean, there's the insurance. So insurance and risk management, estate planning, mm -hmm. education planning, retirement planning, which you also like to call pivot planning. Mm. Oh, I like that better. Yes. I like pivot. that better. Yeah, yeah. Um, good, good. A discussion I do want to get into later is sort of our challenging assumptions, I think, is really central to having a fabulous financial planner mm -hmm. um, and challenging some of those assumptions about what we do in 
our later years is something that's really critical and I think is going to be essential to the success of planning. So this is what I find interesting about the way you have approached your work and your tying it so deeply to values so that it, it gets past the kind of whatever people's discomfort is with talking about money to really talking about, well, what matters to you and how do we set you up to have more of that, whatever the that is. So how do you help people with that conversation? So the first thing we'll do with new clients is we go through an exercise to help them settle on some core values. Mm. And we find that's a really good centering place. And it can help us understand the clients better and often helps the clients understand themselves better because when did you ever do that? (laughs) So there's sort of these underlying themes in the things that motivate you. And it's not about what you should or should not value. It's about what you actually value. And having done the exercise myself and done it with my husband and being able to compare and say, oh, you know, these are the reasons that we motivate and we think and we act and behave differently. It's really helpful. And then you also see that when you're really channeling and focusing on those values, that you're doing the things you love and you're doing them well. Mm -hmm. And you have more energy and capacity for those things that align with those values. So the reason we start by centering on values is... It helps us motivate and tie the specific behavior, specific objectives to something bigger and grander that matters more, mm-hmm. right? That sense of purpose, I think many people have, have spoken and written about how it motivates. Um, and I think it helps tie to that motivation. And also when there's periods of high emotion, we can ask clients to step back and say, okay, well, you know, we know you value family Mm -hmm. so much so tell me how this connects to how you value your family right and that forced reflection calms people down Uh which permits more rational thinking and better decision making so and this goes to that that whole idea about sort of generating alternatives and we use confirmation bias in our decision making all the time. But what you're saying is that you bring that curiosity back to the conversation of values and say, well, what's, is this aligned with your values? What's actually going on here? Is there something I don't know that I should know? Yes. So, so that I can do this better? I think, I don't know, 60% of my job probably is about just asking questions. And then, uh-huh. you know, maybe 25% of my job is, you know, crunching numbers and spreadsheets analysis, all that good stuff investment management. But so much of what I do is just asking questions. I mean, there'll be meetings where almost all I do is asking questions. And the the, the fine line is how do you investigate and not interrogate? Uh-huh. Right. So that's not the experience you want. But yeah. the So how do you? I mean so, how do you make that distinction? I think very open ended questions is mm-hmm. very important, right? So why is one of those really really good questions. Mm-hmm. Um And a couple layers down, right? And a couple layers down. So I'd love to tell a story about that, especially as it relates to pivoting. So we had a client we've worked with for a number of years, and he's always been, you know, pretty happy with his job. He's self-employed, so he has autonomy, and, um, you know, he doesn't mind what he does. And he came in once, and he was like, I I need to retire, like, now. Uh. And, you know, 
the planning hadn't <laughs> quite permitted retiring now. Uh-huh. Okay, wow. So, you know, why? why? He said, well, um, you know, I, I could die young and and I, th- I, I, need, I need to retire before I die. And I'm like, okay, why is this, an, is there a reason this is a new concern? Why this come up? Mm-hmm. And it turned out that someone who he really respected and thought of as actually quite, you know, a healthy athletic person who was dear to him, an uncle of his, had just passed away mm-hmm. fairly young in his 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, distressed our client. We said, okay, so why do you need to retire? Uh-huh. And he's like, well, I'm really worried I'm not going to have enough time to spend with my mom and my daughter. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay, why do you need to retire? Uh-huh. And so we kept digging down. And what we realized is, you know, you are self-employed. So the solution we helped him find was like, how can you spend more time with your mother and your daughter? That's what matters to you. It's not retiring. Right. It's you want to know that you have that time with your those people you love. And so what he was like, oh, well, you know, I could pack my schedule and just work four days a week and then commute to Pennsylvania to see my mom every other week. I mean, he walked out of there happy as a clam. Right. <laughs> and now he has a sustainable path where he's living what he wants to do, what's most important to him now. Yeah. There's no waiting. Say, okay, well, you know, if we really scrimp and you live off it's noodles for the rest of your life. Right off and I can do, right. You know, it's not like you're going to live off canned beans and, you know, that's how you're going to make this work. It's, oh, I actually have some control here mm-hmm. and I can live how I want now. And that's both personally fulfilling and financially sustainable. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that was one of my favorite examples of just picking out why <laughs> over and over. Right. You know, it reminds me of a line from uh, the poet Mary Carr who says, and if you can get curious about what scares or infuriates mm-hmm. you, especially if it's part of yourself, you can grow less scared. And so what you're doing is you're bringing curiosity to the things that scare people. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yes. Um, we have a lot of conversations that start with really uncomfortable topics. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. people need to feel safe. And talking about those things that inside people that they're afraid of, I think people are afraid that they can't, they can't with mm-hmm. money. They can't mm-hmm. manage money. They can't be more mindful. They can't spend less. They can't, you know deal with their debt Mm -hmm. they'll just never feel confident Mm -hmm. they'll just never understand and so we work really hard especially with couples where you may have differences and how people feel how comfortable people are with their money and and financial know-how or or, you know words that are specific to the industry to try to build up some of that confidence and change some of those money stories for people and it can be done it just requires a little bit of focus uh-huh. and changing that script we have in our head of like, oh, well, I always overspend. I think for most people, they probably don't need to know the name of every company in their portfolio. I think we're at the right. point where we have sophistically, sufficiently developed capital markets in the United States where, you know, you can own an ETF or an index or a, a mutual fund. But do understand that, you know, you could have 3% of your holdings in Enron. Right. But the point of you know, a, a good di- diverse strategy with your investments is that, you know, if it's less than 3%, you're going to be okay. 
And understanding the structure of your finance is really important. So mm -hmm. that's what we really focus on with our clients is on helping them make sure they know that this is the money for financial independence. And this is the money for the home remodel. And this is the money that you can draw on in the next three years. And they're structured differently. And you don't need to know the name of every bond or every company in it. But you need to understand that, okay, if things got really bad, I have three years of pretty much cash mm -hmm. available to me. Mm -hmm. And that's long enough for me to weather a recession so that I'm not super worried about, you know, the emerging markets portfolio looking kind of rocky out in this other account because I also have the confidence to know I'm not going to touch that for 20 years. Yeah. So I think that level of knowledge breeds confidence without having to totally delve into all of the details. Yeah. Yeah. But for the clients who want the details, we're happy to go into those details. But it's sort of meeting people where they're at and what actually serves them. So what do you want them to be curious about? I want them to be curious about those alternatives that are open to mm -hmm. them. Something that we really stress is not the idea of financial planning as either A, a financial plan being a binder I hand you and a one mm -hmm. like a product. It's a process. It's not a product. And B, this idea that you plan for the crossing this finish line. Mm. And it's just like a get this amount of money and then you're done. You've won or whatever. Um, what I want people to be curious about is what are those things that they might be putting off in terms of how they live their life? Does that have to wait till they hit some kind of financial or age mark? Or is there a way to incorporate those things they think they like about that future that they've invented today? Mm. It goes back to another bit of Francesca Gino's research that in groups where curiosity has been peaked, where they're really sort of focused on staying curious, they both are more open to new information, but they also listen more carefully. Mm. So I'm thinking about that in the context of sort of what you do in both posing the questions, but also, you know, you don't get all the answers in the 90 minutes. You're listening closely for those 90 minutes, and you're listening closely over time. So that's a curiosity practice that yes. you have. Do you have other curiosity practices? So I was thinking about this, and one curiosity practice, which I am actually borrowing from my mentors and taking forward is developing study groups mm -hmm. as an adult. You know, I'm not in school, but I'm part of two study groups. One is focused on women in financial services as a sort huh. of professional development, business development study group of how can we learn. And it's a group of women from all across the United States, different kinds of firms, different kinds of roles. But we're trying to see how we can be our best as professionals and working together and all having bringing questions to the table and also mm. solutions and sharing them um, and another group which i'm part of is a esg investment study group esg stands for environment sustainability and governance ah. so we're looking at investments that purport at least to have a double bottom line or some kind of element of uh, positive impact in the world outside of shareholder value mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. they look at you know wider stakeholders and defining what this is is also part of the question of like, what is this kind of investing? And, you know, is it real? Is it greenwashing? So there was a group of advisors who, you know, we were all interested in this. We want to 
lead values-led lives and help lead our clients in that way and said, we all need to get better educated on this and we all want to dig in. And so we're doing that as a group because we all have different backgrounds and experience with it. Um, And we felt like building that community who was curious about this was going to be the best way to actually make it happen. Hmm. And so I think building a community of curiosity um, is something that I'm actually trying to do in order to you know continue to fuel curiosity i think if you're around people who are interested it's easier to be interested Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so that's another practice of sort of intentionally building communities around subjects that you're interested in and i'm always looking for the next good question to sort of set people off balance Uh a little bit so every time we sort of have a a strategy meeting with our one of our clients we always try to bring a new question to them Uh uh-huh and so that there's a new way that they and we can look at their situation. Nice. Um, oh, I want this question list. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm always building the question list. Yeah. So uh, and always thinking of, you know, what's what's the question that's going to create the spark yeah. in someone? Yeah. And so that's uh, a really cool job to have. <laughs> It is. It is. Well, you know, one of my favorite kind of curiosity questions, it is that sort of opening sort of a question is how might I, you know, fill in the blank, right? It's kind of what you do all the time, isn't it? How might I? Yeah. One of my favorite questions to ask, uh, ask folks, especially new, new clients is if money was no object, what would you do? Yeah. And that can lead to some really unexpected directions. Yeah. You know, and part of that is, you know, we'd love to plan and create a financial path and world for you where money is no object, really, but also the reality that no matter how much money, money is still sort of fixed amount. You know, what is really the intent? And that can open up some really motivating and and exciting and maybe even just basic kind of shifts. Mm-hmm. Um shifts for people yeah yeah great questions so one of the real constraints in life is time mm-hmm. which we are like basically out of but there's always time for my big jar of one b analogies you ready for this i'm so ready for this okay i did a practice analogy at breakfast this morning oh man she is ready okay pick one i'll take one for me one for the audience you want to go or you want me to go okay i've got embroidery how is curiosity uh, like embroidery right. how is curiosity like embroidery <laughs> So embroidery is not a quick process. Mm. Embroidery is something that requires some time and dedication, focus on detail. Mm. And the results can be quite colorful and extraordinary. And I think that the process of um, deeply exploring a curiosity is much like creating an embroidery because it requires that focus and attention to detail, which may seem perhaps tedious doing the research but when you step back you can create something truly beautiful oh oh, i like it Ooh. so i have the moon how is curiosity like the moon Hmm. i'm going to say that curiosity is like the moon because we think of the moon as something that we look at and it goes through these phases but it actually has a huge pull on us that we're largely unconscious of unless we happen to be at the beach and we think about the tides. And I think curiosity is the same thing. It has this incredible pull on us that we often don't realize, but that is uh, irrefutable in our lives. So I would say that's how it's like the moon. And audience, (laughs) 
how is curiosity like cotton candy? <laughs> I don't know. Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. How is curiosity like cotton candy? Well, Rebecca, this has been wonderful, but how can people find you if they want to know more? So I'm definitely online. You can always find me Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter even. But we're, our website is concentricpw.com. And you can also find me out on the WNOD trail or at Beloved Yoga Studio <laughs> or maybe coming to a front stoop near you. Oh, there you go. Yes, I can speak. Rebecca Canvas is a lot. You probably have met her. You just didn't know it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rebecca. This has been great. Thank you, Lynn. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great programs here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious, or on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at Choose Number Two, Letter B Curious. Don't forget to send us your cotton candy analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to Rebecca Borton. Various links, including a fun interview she did with my WERA colleague, Yasmin Arrington from Millennial Minds, on my website. I've also got a link to the work by Francesca Gino. Check it all out. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack. And we're listening to One Little Triumph by Piano Mover via Blue Dot Sessions. In the words of Mary Carr, if you got curious about what scares or infuriates you, how might you approach your own planning, financial or otherwise, differently? I hope you'll join me again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. One of the things that I've certainly read and I'm trying to practice more is rather than telling people what to do because everyone knows they're supposed to eat right and exercise and save money for retirement is just asking questions so really focusing on well what will be the impact if you do or don't do this and then you know my professional curiosity i've found is so much more motivated by real people's problems and real people's situations so you know it's great to sort of run through all the theory but When someone comes to you and says, oh, you know, my brother's in this situation, what should I do? I find that that drives my motivation and my curiosity of, ooh, you know, what what is the Texas estate law around Medicaid planning for, you know, a a disabled individual? I, I think that dealing with real people's problems can help motivate you to engage in that curiosity out of the abstract. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash novahousehunter.com.